It was certainly a disappointing end to the Orioles' 2023 season and a disappointing playoff performance. But that shouldn't take away from how incredible the regular season was. 101 wins, a division title, and one of the best Orioles teams we have seen in a long, long time. So what will you take away from this season? What will your main memories be of the 2023 Orioles? I'll tell you mine coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Friday, October 13th, 2023. And welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we're going to look back at the 2023 regular season for the Orioles. Because yes, the playoffs certainly ended poorly earlier this week, but it was an incredible season when the Orioles finally burst onto the scene coming out of this rebuild. And you know, we're not going to have really any playoff moments to remember from this Orioles team. They got swept out of the ALDS. Really nothing positive happened in those three games. So when you think back on the 2023 Orioles, what will you remember? Now I'm asking all of you, please leave in the YouTube comments what you'll remember from this season. But, you know, usually on my game recap episodes, I give you the five things you need to know. Today, the five things we'll remember from the 2023 Orioles season. That's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. But first, just wanted to thank you all again for making Locked On Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. We're free and available on all podcast listening platforms five days a week, still throughout November, basically, until we go back to three days a week in the off season. We got all the Orioles content coming to you. Make sure you subscribe, rate and review wherever you listen. And of course, like, comment and subscribe to the Locked On Orioles YouTube page, where next week we'll be doing a giveaway as a celebration of reaching 5,000 subscribers on YouTube. Thank you to the everydayers out there, everybody who's been with me throughout the season. It's been an incredible ride, but the podcast moves on, including today, where you know, we're going to continue to do retrospectives on this season, and obviously we'll you know grade out each player's performance from this year, and we'll talk a lot about the 2023 season until you know free agency and the offseason really opens up once the World Series is over. But for now, it's a lot of looking back at what could have been, and some of that's going to be in a negative connotation, but today's episode is going to be all positive. The five things we'll remember positively from the 2023 Orioles season, and yes, they're all going to be from the regular season because the postseason did not go well. But it's still a season where you won 101 games. You still won the division. A lot of incredible moments. So the first thing I will always think back to is that the Orioles during the season may have found not just one, but two aces. First one was Kyle Bradish. And this, for me, is one that I'll really always remember because I feel like I was one of the early passengers on the Kyle Bradish hype train. He just, once he got into the Orioles minor league system after the trade from the Angels... He just seemed different. That stuff was really good. The Orioles were hyping him up as well, and the Orioles were kind of putting him in the same conversation as Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall when they talked about their own pitching prospects. And it turns out they were right, and he could be better. Bradish could be better than both of them. 30 starts this year for Kyle Bradish in 168 and two-thirds innings. He posted a 2.83 ERA. That was the fourth lowest of any qualified MLB starter Bradish is almost certainly going to receive down-ballot AL Cy Young votes this year, a 3.27 FIP, 25% strikeout rate, above average, 7% walk rate, below average, a good 49% ground ball rate, which limited the home runs this year for Kyle Bradish, which 
were a problem at times last season. He developed a couple of elite pitches. I mean, that slider is one of the best sliders in all of baseball. It became his number one most used pitch this season. He found out that the curveball is really good too. And that although his four-seam fastball isn't a great pitch, he really found the sinker that can be an option for him fastball-wise and just simply put it all together. A 2.77 ERA in the second half when the Orioles needed him most. He was fantastic and just an unbelievable year. And one of my bold predictions, hot takes, at the beginning of the season, we can, you know, I can post the audio again. I've done it already on Twitter. I said that by the end of the 2023 season, we will see Kyle Bradish as the Orioles' slam dunk opening day starter for 2024. I think we can all agree right now that unless the Orioles go out and make a ginormous starting pitching, either free agency or trade splash, Kyle Bradish is going to start opening day for the Orioles in 2024. But it wasn't just Bradish. It was also Grayson Rodriguez. Now, of course, Grayson didn't put together the entire body of work that Bradish did in 2023. It was a struggle for Grayson, those first 10 starts in April and May when he was making his first appearances in the big leagues. But after he went down to AAA for a bit, figured things out, and came back up, he had a 2.58 ERA in the second half of the season. Now, his total stats for Grayson Rodriguez in his rookie year, 23 starts, 122 innings, 4.35 ERA, 25% strikeout rate, 8% walk rate, and a 47% ground ball rate. All those things very similar to Bradish. It's just he gave up way too many extra base hits and home runs in those first 10 starts. And that's why the ERA is above four instead of below three like it is for Kyle Bradish. But again, he was basically just as good as Bradish in the second half. was incredible down the stretch. I get that he was really bad in the one postseason start. It was not good. It was an inning and two-thirds and five runs. It did not set up the Orioles well in that ALDS against the Rangers. But he will learn from that. It's his first postseason start. We saw how his first major league starts went. First postseason start kind of went similarly. He'll be back. He'll pitch better in the postseason. And again, if the Orioles don't make a big splash, Grayson Rodriguez is your number two starter going into next year and could develop into just as good, if not better, than Bradish. The O's have a legitimate one-two punch moving forward. Second thing we'll always remember from 2023 is that the Orioles, in multiple cases, but specifically with one hitter and one pitcher this season, showed you that the Orioles can fix you. The Orioles are now a player development machine that not only drafts well and develops their homegrown players well, but can also grab players who are struggling with other teams and basically fix them and make them successful. And the two main success stories this year were Ryan O'Hearn on the position player side and Yin-Yir Cano on the pitching side. Let's start with O'Hearn, who came up in 2018 with the Royals as a rookie after being a high draft pick and was really, really good down the stretch with the Royals in 18. I mean, really, really good. They thought they really had something. And he came out in 2019. They were expecting to give him every day at bats for the Kansas City Royals. And then in 2019, he had 370 plate appearances. So not an everyday player, but a 68 WRC+. 2020, 64 WRC+. 2021, 250 plate appearances, 68 WRC+. 2022, playing time went down, just 145 plate appearances, 71 WRC+. He just was not good. And the Royals decided to DFA him this offseason. Now, you would get why they made the move. He was bad for four straight years. But for a team that was going to be as bad as the Royals were, struggling as much for offense as the Royals were, it's still a little surprising that they DFA'd it and just didn't let him you know, finish out those final couple of years with Kansas City and see if he could regain that 2018 form. But the Royals gave up on him, DFA'd him, and traded him to the Orioles for cash. And the O's played with his roster eligibility a little bit, and they kind of DFA'd him and kept him in the organization. And O'Hearn, despite a really good spring training, did not make the team out of camp. 
But after coming up for a little bit, going back down to AAA, and then finally came up for good in May, he was just outstanding. Ryan O'Hearn in 368 plate appearances with the Orioles this year, hit 289 with a 322 on base and a 480 slugging, good for a 118 WRC+. He had 14 homers, had right around a 50% hard hit rate the entire year, which was top 10. Let me tell you that again. Ryan O'Hearn, top 10 in Major League Baseball in hard hit rate, which means he could even get better going into next year. Just an incredible find. And he ended up being even more important when Ryan Mountcastle went down. Mountcastle's struggling, then goes down. We found out it's vertigo. He misses months. You could pretty much pencil in Ryan O'Hearn, if there was a righty on the mound, into first base every single day and not miss a beat with the production he gave the Orioles in the middle of the season there with Mountcastle out. And even when Mountcastle was here, they were platooning for a little bit. They were getting both of them in the lineup at times. They were still getting O'Hearn in there because that's how good he was this season. And, you know, we've read stories about, you know, little changes, little tweaks with how he stands at the plate and how he holds the bat and, you know, able to get the bat through the zone and, and you know, hitting more balls the other way. And we get it. The Orioles certainly made their adjustments. But the, they also deployed him in good spots. They rarely let him face lefties. He had always been better, much better against righties. And he showed that when he got the chances this year for a good baseball team for the first time in his career. And O'Hearn, who has one more year before free agency, 2024 is his final arbitration year. He'll be a free agent after next season. I see no reason why the O's would move on from him. Yes, there could be, you know, kind of a pile up there. You've got O'Hearn, you've got Mount Castle, you've got kind of Santander in that similar mold. You've got Heston Kerstad now on the roster in that similar mold. You're going to have, you know, a guy like Kobe Mayo knocking on the door on kind of a corner infielder, corner outfielder kind of spot. So I get that it's getting crowded, but with the production that O'Hearn showed and maintained all year, you got to bring him back. And I see him being a part of this Orioles lineup Jorge Lopez trade at the deadline last year. And I've been very open about this. I was not a fan of the Jorge Lopez trade, but I think I've done a good job of explaining the differences that I felt between the Jorge Lopez trade and the Trey Mancini trade. The Jorge Lopez trade was, I get it, right? You have a reliever who's probably never going to be more valuable than this. Relievers are so volatile. And if you're able to get four pitching prospects, I get doing the trade. I didn't like what it said to the clubhouse that, hey, we're trading away our all-star closer when we're in the wildcard race. But I understood the temptation of making that trade. I still, despite the fact that it looks like Seth Johnson and Chase McDermott could be really good, don't agree with the Trey Mancini trade. That was just a punch in the gut to the Orioles. But anyway, I, I get why they did the Jorge Lopez deal. And it has certainly worked out because Inier Cano was kind of the afterthought of that trade, right? It was like Cade Povich, this is the going to be one of your top pitching prospects. Then you get Juan Nunez and Juan Rojas, two really young guys, but who are really, really pitching well in rookie ball and guys you could mold and develop and bring up through your system to be impactful pitchers. And then there was this guy Cano who was older in his late 20s, had good stuff, but just was walking everybody, both at AAA and at the big league level in limited time with the Twins. And you're just thinking, let's throw him in. Let's see if we can fix him. And we figured, yeah, they might. But then Cano got on the mound for the Orioles a couple times late in the year. And it was not good. And he finished in Major League Baseball last year between the Twins and the Orioles. 18 innings, 16 walks, and an 11.50 ERA. And you're looking at it like, okay, the Orioles tried it. He was the throw-in. It's okay if they DFA him. But as the offseason went on, and, and I had always kept this position that the Orioles probably aren't going to DFA Yenier Cano. A lot of people wanted it to be done last offseason to clear space for people. They thought, this guy's terrible. He's taking up a 40-man spot. But 
The O's had just traded for him, and they certainly saw something there, and they had never even gotten a chance to really work with him. They had to trade for him, just kind of put him in AAA, put him in the big leagues. They hadn't even had an offseason with Cano yet, and you could tell if Michael Elias is going to get a guy in a trade, he's going to want to have that at least one offseason with him. And so they did. They held on to him. They showed that they believed in him. And now Cano was, again, good in spring training, but did not make the team out of big league camp. There were some relievers who didn't end up being very good who made the team over him, but the Orioles were struggling. In April, they needed arms. They bring up Cano. He ends up pitching in high leverage as soon as he comes up, and he was unbelievable. Now, his final season stats, he was used a lot. 72 and two-thirds innings for Cano this season, a 2.11 ERA, 58% ground ball rate, 23% strikeout rate, 5% walk rate for Yenier Cano. He did not allow a hit in his first nine appearances out of the bullpen. He did not allow a run in his first 17 appearances out of the bullpen, and he did not issue a walk in his first 20 appearances out of the Orioles' bullpen this season. He had his struggles a little bit in the second half in little patches, but generally he was basically unhittable for about a month there, and then after that made the All-Star team and was still a really good reliever for the rest of the season and mostly filled in as the Orioles' closer over the final month when Felix Bautista went out with the elbow injury. Just an incredible find. I don't know if the O's will trust him with the closer role from the get-go next season. I think they should upgrade that role. Cano more of a more like seventh, eighth inning ground ball guy, I think, is where he fits this team better. But he's going to be back in this bullpen next year. He's got a lot of team control left as well. Just another great find and great job to fix him by the Orioles player development staff, specifically now that they can do it at the major league level as well. But three more things that I'll remember from this season coming up next, including, I just mentioned him, Felix Bautista. Yes, he went down with injury and missed the final month and change. But before that, it was must-watch TV every single night he pitched. And we'll talk about that coming up next. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by Sleeper. Now, we are into the Major League Baseball postseason. And it's pretty fun to turn on baseball every single night. But it can be even more fun when you download Sleeper because you can pick more or less on a multitude of stat categories for all your favorite players. Maybe, well, left in the postseason, a guy like Corbin Carroll. Maybe a guy like Trey Turner. Maybe a guy like Adolis Garcia. Maybe a guy like Jordan Alvarez. Pick more or less for hits, home runs, strikeouts, walks, and more. And you could times your money by 100 with Sleeper. They've got an app. It's super easy to use. You make your picks. It can be done in less than a minute. And use promo code Locked On, and you'll get up to a $100 match for your first deposit. Terms and conditions apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details. Check out Sleeper today. So we're taking a look back at the Orioles' 2023 season. The five things I'll remember and will remember from this amazing 101-win division champion Orioles regular season. Talked about the O's may have found two aces in Grayson and Kyle Bradish. How they fixed two players and turned them into impact guys in Ryan O'Hearn and Yinyer Cano. Third thing we'll remember from this season is that Felix Bautista went the entire year being basically unhittable. It was an unbelievable season for Felix Bautista. And of course, he broke onto the scene in 2022, making the roster, moving his way up, becoming the closer after the Orioles traded Jorge Lopez at the deadline and being incredible down the stretch to keep the O's 
in that playoff race. But he came back this year, you know, had a little bit of a leg injury at the end of the year last year, came back this year, and after a little bit of a scuffle in his first few appearances of the year, including that series in Boston, which didn't go great, he was just absolutely dominant this year. And there is no question about it. Despite the fact that he missed a month at the end of the year, he was the best reliever in baseball, full stop, in 2023. Felix Bautista threw 61 innings this year and had a 1.48 ERA. His 46% strikeout rate was on pace to be one of the five best strikeout seasons in the history of relievers in Major League Baseball. Earlier in the season, he was up around 50% and was on pace to actually break the record, a Rollis Chapman's old record at one point. Just an 11% walk rate to go with it, which is a little bit above average, but nothing crazy. And at times, teams couldn't hit him at all. In June and July, which is when he was at his best, and right in the middle there, went to his first All-Star game as one of the Orioles' four All-Stars this year. He threw 24 innings for the Orioles between June and July. He allowed just 11 hits and one earned run in that stretch, and only two of those 11 hits were extra base hits. One double, one homer, and nine singles against him. That's all people were getting. One run, he hit two batters, he walked only four batters, and struck out 47 hitters in 20 four innings of work. That stretch in June and July is one of the best stretches you will ever see from a reliever. That is how dominant was Felix Bautista this season. And I get, you know, maybe when we have this memory, it won't be all happiness because when you build in the memory of the 2023 Felix Bautista season, it will always end with what happened at the end. The 0-2 pitch he threw with two outs in the ninth inning against the Colorado Rockies on August 25th, 102-mile-per-hour fastball that missed very up and away, immediately hangs the arm down, trainers come out, and Felix Bautista leaves the game and will not be back on the mound for the Orioles until 2025. They called it a UCL injury, a partial tear. They tried to bring him back. He threw bullpens. The sim game he threw apparently did not go well, and the Orioles shut him down. And this week, Bautista underwent successful Tommy John surgery. So he's going to be out for the entirety of the 2024 season. And then the hope is he'll be back and ready to go for opening day 2025, but there can be setbacks and other things, so you never know. He could miss a little time at the beginning of 2025 as well. But even with the missed month at the end there, and the Orioles' bullpen did a nice job picking up the slack with him out, that season that we saw until the injury was the most dominant reliever season I've seen since Zach Britton in 2016. And overall, that's the second most dominant season I've ever seen from a reliever. It was just ridiculous. The fastball at 100 up in the zone, the disgusting splitter, even his slider was looking even better, his number three pitch here in 2023. It really is sad, right, that we're not going to get to watch Felix Bautista pitch until 2025. He is must-see TV when he is out there. Just so fun to watch him baffle hitters. I can't wait to see him step back on that mound. Now, we've got two more things to get to that we will remember from 2023. First of all, we'll talk comebacks. O's had a lot of them. And then just the vibes that this Orioles team put together. Pretty immaculate at times this season. We'll get to that to finish off the pod coming up next. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is also brought to you by FanDuel. Now, October baseball is back. Unfortunately, the Orioles aren't playing October baseball anymore, but you can make your postseason debut with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Join FanDuel today and you'll get started with $200 in bonus bets, guaranteed, when you place your first $5 bet. 
Just visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to create your new account. Then you can get in on the action from the first pitch until the final out. Bet on everything from strikeouts to home runs to who will win the game. If you don't want to wait the whole game to get a W, you can predict what will happen in the next at-bat with quick bets. So head over to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn right now. Step up to the plate this postseason with $200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sports betting partner of Major League Baseball. So what will you remember from the 2023 Orioles season? Talked about Braddish and Grayson becoming aces. Talked about O'Hearn and Cano fixing themselves. Orioles fixing them. Talked about the dominance of Felix Bautista. The fourth thing I remember from 2023 is the Orioles' comebacks. They finished the regular season with 48 comeback wins, which was tied for the most in baseball. Only the Cincinnati Reds matched the O's also with 48 comeback wins in 2023. It was unbelievable what the Orioles did. And funny enough, only three of those 48 comeback wins were ninth inning comebacks. And both of those ninth inning comebacks came at the end of the year. There weren't many of them throughout the season, yet sixth, seventh, eighth inning that was the Orioles' time this year. It felt like when you got to the seventh and you got into a bullpen, that's when the Orioles started to wake up and just won so many games that they trailed for a good chunk of the middle portion of the outing. And I just wanted to, you know, I'm not going to mention every single of the 48 comebacks. Some of them were, hey, the Orioles gave up one in the top of the first. They scored two in the bottom of the first and went on to win. That's considered a comeback win. So I get, you know, not all 48 comeback wins are treated equally. And I get that. But I wanted to highlight some of my favorites, kind of go through the timeline. April 23rd, former Orioles prospect Eduardo Rodriguez and the Tigers come into Baltimore on a Sunday. He's got a perfect game through six and two-thirds innings. Yet, the Orioles break it up. They score one in the eighth to tie the game. They score in a walk-off wild pitch in the 10th and win it 2-1. to one. May 20th, the coming out party of Ryan O'Hearn in Toronto, big divisional game. O's down 5-2 to two in the eighth, two on, two out. O'Hearn takes all-star closer Jordan Romano deep to tie the game in the in the eighth. Orioles get a run in the top of the 10th. Felix shuts it down. O's win that one in Toronto. May 24th, things aren't looking so hot. A night after Aaron Judge hit a walk-off homer to beat the Orioles in game one, the O's trailing in game two score eight runs in the seventh inning to come back and beat the Yankees 9-6 to at Yankee Stadium. That was a fun one. June 8th, Orioles, who had looked miserable in a series in Milwaukee, had lost the first two games of the series, just looking, it was some of the worst baseball they had played all year in that Brewer series. They come out in game three, and they're down 3 nothing heading into the seventh inning. It's looking like they're going to get swept for the first time this season. Then they score one in the seventh, two in the eighth, and three in the ninth, with Gunnar Henderson hitting a huge two-run homer, and they beat the Brewers 6-3 to to stave off the sweep. July 2nd, Orioles in the midst of probably their worst stretch of the season where they lost six out of seven and everybody lost their minds and completely jumped off the bandwagon. This was the one win in the six losses in seven games. They're getting shut out by the Minnesota Twins. The offense looks putrid all weekend, but it's only a one nothing game. And they get themselves a little RBI single. They get themselves a little RBI hit by pitch with the bases loaded off of Juwan Duran, one of the best relievers in baseball, and they beat the Twins 2-1 to one with two runs in the eighth inning. August 25th, on the night that Felix Bautista gets injured. Before that, though, Gunnar Henderson, two-run homer in the eighth inning, puts the Orioles up 5-4, to four, and they go on to win the game against the Rockies. September 5th, a wild game in Anaheim. The Orioles score two in the ninth. 
to take a 4-3 to three lead after blowing the lead just the previous inning. Then D.L. Hall, trying to get a save without Felix Bautista there, gets one strike away, gives up a run, bottom nine, but the Orioles score in the 10th, and Shintaro Fujinami, look the best he did in O's uniform, closes it out in the 10th for a 5-4 Orioles win. September 17th, maybe everyone's favorite game of the year, Sunday against the Rays, that pivotal four-game series. O's go down, Jorge Lopez gives up back-to-back homers in the 8th, they're down 3-1, to one. you think it's over. Adley homers in the 8th to make it a one-run game. And then with the O's down to their final strike and Jorge Mateo on first, Adam Frazier laces a ball right down the third baseline. Mateo scores to tie it. Adley gets an RBI single with two outs in the 10th to tie it again. And then the Cedric Mullins walk-off sack fly wins it 5-4 to four in the 11th. Basically set up the Orioles perfectly to win the division and, of course, clinched a playoff berth on that day as well. And then the very next day, it was Cedric Mullins again. Down 7-5 in Houston in the ninth inning. Ryan Presley, one of the best closers in baseball. Mullins launches a three-run go-ahead home run in the top of the ninth. The Orioles somehow hold on in the bottom half to win it 8-7. Those are just some of my favorite comebacks of the year that I'll always remember. These will be the comeback Orioles. What a season it was. I mean, even in that playoff series when things were looking down, you never felt like the O's were really out of those games. You just felt like at some point they're going to rally like they did all season. Unfortunately, didn't do it in that ALDS, but did it throughout the regular season. And the fifth thing... Not the final thing, but the fifth thing for this episode that we'll remember from the 2023 Orioles season, just the vibes of this team, right? The celebrations from the beginning, you know, the the water celebrations being born out of a water-themed performance that the Orioles did in their talent show in spring training and, you know, turning the faucet on at first base and then Adley doing kind of the driving crooner a little bit. And then, you know, you get the sprinkler at second base and at third base after doubles and triples and you get the dong bong on the home runs, in the dugout. And then all of a sudden, the birdbath appears, and it's sold out in that section every single game with Mr. Splash spraying fans. You get guest splashers throughout the season. It was just awesome to see the Orioles put that together and have people come back to the yard for an AL East winning team. It was awesome, you know, all the celebrations. And, and listen, this is a really young team. They seem to love each other, all be friends with each other. I mean, they came up through the system together, most of this team. The veterans who came in, Their performances were to varying degrees, but Kyle Gibson kind of filled in that dad role of the pitching staff. Cole Irvin, you know, didn't even spend the whole year with the big league club, but, you know, was the guy who kind of helped implement the birdbath and, you know, was doing great things in the Orioles community, as was Kyle Gibson. You have Aaron Hicks, who I've heard this from multiple different people. Hicks is like the guy in that clubhouse. That is one of the reasons why the Orioles brought him in in May when Cedric went down and kept him the entire year. Now, he was certainly producing much better than he was as a Yankee, so that's one reason, but the Orioles' young guys looked up to Aaron Hicks and loved having him in that clubhouse. James McCann was a huge guy for Adley to just have a more productive and just better backup catcher for Adley Rutschman than they had in 2022. Just a great mix of players on this team who came in and helped Brandon Hyde bringing it all together just... You know, the 2023 managers does not have the job of the 2003 manager. You know, it's very, very different what you're asked to do. But a lot of it is cultivating a vibe, keeping things together in the clubhouse. And Brandon Hyde seemed to do an amazing job of that this season for the Orioles. And I think that really played a factor in this team going on and winning 100 games this year and winning the AL East. I mean, no one predicted this. I mean, most people predicted the Orioles to regress, win 70-ish games. 
I said it with my whole chest at the beginning of the season. I was asked for a prediction. I said the Orioles will do one game better. I didn't think they'd regress, but they went 83-79 and 79 last year. I said they'd go 84-78, and 78, and that was basically hopefully they can get the final wild card if they do that, but they may not make the postseason because I was frustrated with the offseason, and we can still be frustrated with their last offseason, and we'll get into that as we preview this offseason. But they won 101 games and won the ALEs, which was mostly regarded as the toughest division in baseball this year. You know, the Rays won 99 games behind them, and Toronto also made the playoffs. And guess what? Only one team finished below 500. That was the Boston Red Sox, and they were still a tough out all season, especially for the Orioles. This was an unbelievable regular season. And of course, when you think about this season, it's all going to end with all the bad stuff that happened in the playoffs in the ALDS against the Rangers. I get it. But regular seasons are special too. There's a lot more memories in 162 games when you win 101 than in three losses in the postseason. Yes, do those count more? Of course they do. But those 162, it seemed like every single night something special happened for the Orioles and just so many fond memories as we look back at 2023. Hopefully in the future, there's more playoff success to look back at. But in 2023, a lot of awesome, awesome regular season moments. But that'll do it for today and this week. On the podcast, unfortunately, this was the week where we had to say goodbye to the Orioles 2023 season, but we don't say goodbye to the podcast. No, no, no. We'll be back on Monday. Going to be kind of an odd Monday show for the first time in a very long time. A Monday pod where we're not recapping the weekend games played by the Baltimore Orioles. But next week, we're going to start diving into a couple of things. Number one is what this offseason could look like for the Orioles. And number two is... Let's look back at every single player's performance, give out some grades, talk about their seasons. We'll start that up next week on the pod, beginning when I'm back with you on Monday. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.